welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. This podcast features experts in the field talking about the most salient issues in healthcare reform. and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Emily George, and we are pleased to have on our podcast today, Chris Allen, founder and former CEO of Authority Health, a nonprofit health organization created in 2005 to address unmet health needs in Wayne County, Michigan. Welcome to the show, Chris. Emily, thank you for inviting me to be on your show today. You're welcome. Thank you. So, Chris, can you start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your career journey? I'd be happy to. Um, I'm, uh, I've had 43 years working in healthcare administration, and I love what I do, and I've had an uh, interesting and varied career path, which has allowed me to, to uh, provide and do the services that I do today. I spent 20 years in the hospital setting. I trained at the University of Michigan School of Public Health in their hospital administration uh, track. And I was trained to uh, be the best hospital administrator I could be. And for 20 years, I did that. And, uh, what, and I worked at a hospital called Hutzel Hospital. And we were delivering close to uh, 8,000 babies a year, the most in the state of Michigan. Uh, and but two thousand of those babies were the size of my hand or smaller, hmm. and uh, and we had nine neonatologists, we had thirteen perinatologists, we had twenty six nurse midwives, and as an inpatient facility, we were aligned with the Wayne State Medical School, so all of our physicians were clinical academicians, and we had the best of the best. And so my career path was moving along quite well, and I was pleased. And at the time, I was executive vice president of Hustle Hospital. Uh, and then I had a visit one day from the state health department, Michigan Health Department, the Maternal and Child Health Division. And this young lady, uh, her name was Terry Wright. And she came and she said, uh, Mr. Allen, whenever there was an issue around health policy, or reimbursement around Medicaid reimbursement, we would often come to Hutzel because we would want your opinion. Uh, on this occasion, she said, I'm here to ask you about infant mortality among African-American babies in Detroit. And I think she pointed her finger at me and wanted to know, what was I doing about hmm. And she said, there were seven children killed in a house fire and three of those children were born at Hutzel. What could you have done differently that could have prevented that outcome? Hmm. So as a hospital administrator, I was trained to, uh, to care about the four walls of the hospital and all of the things that happen inside, high occupancy, high OR schedule, the high number of deliveries. But her question was very different. And it was a, uh, a population health-based question. And this meeting happened on a Thursday or Friday. And over the weekend, I thought about that a great deal. 
And the next week, I formed a group to look at that issue of low birth weight. And at that time, infant mortality, this may have been 94, in Detroit, among African-American babies, was 23 deaths per 1,000 live births. And in some cases, it was higher than some third-world countries. And that challenged me, and it bothered me to say, what could we have done differently that would have resulted in a different outcome? And it was that that exchange that changed my career path. Uh, in 95, we opened this program called Family Road Care Centers at Hustle Hospital. And, and uh, during that year between 94 and 95, I had a Ph.D. social anthropologist work with me among nurse experts and physician experts, understanding why, why is it that many women, who, that 2,000 women were showing up at the time of delivery with little or no prenatal care. And it was through, uh, we, would, we, would, uh, we had these interview sessions where we paid uh, both men and women to participate in focus groups and we had a professional facilitator asking questions around uh, that issue. And here I thought as an administrator it was physician availability or transportation. Uh, but it turns out it was, it was none of those issues. And it was around those, uh, those activities of daily life and, and young people just getting through the week. And health care was very low on their priority list. A year later, we opened this program called Family Road Care Centers that we learned a great deal from those focus groups and that, and now we call it community-based participatory research uh, and listening to people who are impacted by whatever it is and then designing programs and services around uh, those issues. In 1995, uh, our program within six months of opening uh, we won the uh, Michigan Hospital Association's Community Service Award. And then uh, a couple months later, we won the American Hospital Association's NOVA Award, which recognizes uh, community outreach uh, offerings. And I started getting a lot of calls about our programming. And I went in one day and told my the CEO of the hospital that I was quitting my job and that I was, would like to take this family road program on the road. So for 10 years of my life, uh, you know, again, I was on a, a very uh, per, uh, productive and uh, really wonderful career path, but that meeting changed my life with the uh, health department officer. And so for 10 years, I traveled the country better understanding why is it that women that are eligible for prenatal care uh, weren't availing themselves of those resources? So I selected cities around the country with infant mortality rates of 16 deaths per thousand live births or higher. And I went on this journey uh, advocating for early intervention uh, programs and services around uh, uh, having a healthier baby, and the that journey uh, resulted in a, uh, some wonderful findings and wonderful understandings. And I would often meet with hospital CEOs and CFOs saying to them, 
here's a great program that would prevent uh, an NICU admission. And the CEO would say, well, that would impact our revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And as a hospital administrator uh, uh, at Huxle, we had 46 bassinets at the time, and I wanted everyone filled every day because of the reimbursement associated with that admission. I now know that that was the worst thing that I could have ever have done. Hmm. And this journey that I've been on for 23 years uh, suggests that there's a better way of doing this. And, and that's uh, kind of the career path that I'm on now. And in 2005, I got a call from Dr. Jay Waller, who was the former director of the city of Detroit Health Department. And he said to me, there is a new organization that the mayor of the city of Detroit, the Wayne County uh, County exec, and the governor, Granholm at the time, they were creating the Detroit Wayne County Health Authority, now known as Authority Health, and they needed a CEO to address the growing number of uninsured people in the city of Detroit and to look at programs and services that would improve access to the safety net resources. And for 14 years, I have been the CEO of Authority Health. It's so much to unpack from the things that you shared with us. It's um, your, your career has been extremely vibrant and the passion that you have for this work really shines through. Um, I would love for you to just spend a little bit more time um, just talking about Authority Health and, and how um, the direction that you went in after you um, went on this, this journey around, around the U.S. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? At Authority Health, uh, the first two years, uh, we were concerned about people that were eligible for health insurance but not insured. And people were showing up at emergency rooms, uh, care provided, and they had either Medicaid or Medicare. Uh, they were uh, eligible, and they weren't on the roll. So for the first two years, that's exactly what we did. And this was uh, during the introduction of the Affordable Care Act. And I might add that early on, we were involved with enrollment uh, of people in the uh, around Medicaid. And with the expansion of Medicaid in Michigan, uh, during the first month of the expansion, our organization, in collaboration with three others, enrolled 60,000 people in the city of Detroit who were uninsured and now had insurance. Hmm. And it was also during this time with this uh, that I learned that through the Health Resources Services Administration, they had a, pro, a new program called Teaching Health Centers, which was a graduate medical education uh, program that was community-based. So we applied for a this program for pediatrics, internal medicine, family medicine, psychiatry, OB, and a geriatric program and fellowship. And we were awarded $21 million to start a community-based uh, medical residency program in Detroit, one of the largest programs in the country. 
and within within our first year, we had uh, we were we had seventy one residents, uh, and uh, we were off and running. And given my background in a teaching uh, academic medical center, I was able to recruit some wonderful faculty, Doctor uh, Doctor uh, Michael Opapari who was a uh, director of medical education at Henry Ford Medical Center. Uh, we were able to recruit him. And Dr. John Seeley, who was a colleague of mine who helped create and start our, uh, our graduate medical education program, uh, it started. And today we have uh, close to 100 uh, medical residents. We have uh, 55 practice sites where their continuity clinic, and those of your audience that understand graduate medical education, that continuity clinic is the site where they will be for all of their training. Uh, and oftentimes, it's hospital-based, next door to the professional office building or in their ambulatory site. Well, we elected to put our continuity clinics in all of the medically underserved areas in Detroit. So automatically, uh, we went from a deficit in that neighborhood to having uh, licensed physicians that were in a residency program uh, and that we had board-certified physicians that supervised these residents. And, and we, our program was AC, AOA and ACGME accredited, American Osteopathic Association, and ACGME, which is the allopathic, the graduate medical education component, uh, we were certified. And the same thing that would happen in a hospital was the same thing we had on the community-based residency program. So, Chris, as you think about how you're designing your curriculum for these graduate um, medical education students, um, what are some of the things that you include in the curriculum to help them understand some of the root causes of the population health issues that you're seeing today? As we were ramping up, I felt that there was something missing. And it had to do with the learnings that I had with Family Road for 10 years. And I said, our physicians need to understand and appreciate this power of place where someone lives or their zip code is a great predictor on their health, their life expectancy, and their health outcomes or their comorbidities. And so I went to the University of Michigan, the School of Public Health, and I met with the faculty. Um, Dr. Phyllis Meadows was one of the professors that I met with, and I said, I want to create a two-year curriculum that would allow our medical residents to better understand this notion of population health, social determinants, and equity. And within nine months, we created this curriculum. I paid the university uh, for this two-year curriculum that once a month for two years, the faculty from the University of Michigan School of Public Health would come to Detroit and meet with our residents uh, and uh, and we started the program. Authority Health, our graduate medical education program has, we have two academic sponsors, Michigan State University and the University of Michigan. Uh, our residents are required to do the same thing 
a pediatrician, an internal medicine, a family medicine, a psychiatry resident would do on a hospital-based side, but they also had an obligation to do a two-year residency or two-year certification in population health. Uh, within one year of starting that program, again, we have 23 residents that we admit every year, and we have over 3,000 applicants for those 23 slots from all over the country with no advertisement, and uh, it is phenomenal. Wow, Chris, the program that you've set up just sounds so amazing. And I'm curious, how have you been promoting it um, within your state or outside of your state um, so that others are aware of the good work that you're doing? In our third year of our residency program, I was invited by the associate dean of the University of Michigan Medical School to give a keynote at a Midwest graduate medical education uh, symposium of seven Midwest states. And during my presentation, I, I shared uh, with them uh, our program, our offerings, and I think it blew them away. Um, and afterwards, uh, the level of discussion and feedback uh, was pretty powerful. And it affirmed that what we were doing was pretty special and that very few organizations around the country were doing it. And during this presentation, I put up a slide that was uh, an advertisement from uh, Sinai Hospital in New York City. And the sign, the poster or the advertisement said, if a patient is admitted to our hospital, it means that we have failed. Hmm. And I mentioned to the, 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 all of the GME colleagues, I said, if this advertisement is 50% accurate, what does it do to graduate medical education that we now know in our hospitals today? Because all of, most of the accrediting standards require are all ACGME or hospital-based standards. Now, during this presentation, the Commonwealth Foundation that funds most of the graduate medical education research in this country, he was in the audience, the CEO, uh, the president, and he said, uh, he stood up and he said, uh, we need to get out of our ivory towers and do similar things that this program is doing in Detroit, which was another affirmation that the direction that we're going was a good one. Chris, is there anything else you would want to share with us about the work that you're doing? Along with our graduate medical education program, we started uh, our population health uh, component where we invited all of the de social determinant organizations to the table. And the other learning that I, I found a long, learned a long time ago, whenever there was an issue about uh, uh, any issues in the city, we would, we would populate the room with hospital-based people. Again, it, 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 it was almost like we were, we, we could, you could be assured it would be an acute sick care model or sick care solution rather than a wellness and health solution. So we created this population health council. Uh, we and I, um, I invited Professor John Powell from UC Berkeley, who was a national expert on social determinants and equity. 
and we he co-chaired the group with the Wayne County Health Officer, and, and and every quarter we would have our meeting, and we would invite only those organizations that had anything to do with social determinants, and only ten percent of the representation was from the hospital environment. Every year we would we would uh, again every quarter. And every year we would have a symposium, a population health-based symposium, where we would talk about um, spatial racism and health. We would talk about water as a public health issue. We would talk about toxic stress and its impact on health. And I want to go back to the first one, the spatial racism and health. What we learned, and the beauty of the work that I do is that I was fortunate when I was in training to be a resident or a fellow, administrator resident or a fellow. And so for for 40 years, I've had a resident or a fellow and administratively from a university at the graduate level spend time or a year with me or our organization. And one of our fellows uh, did this project on spatial racism and health. Uh, what we were trying to understand is what is this all about? And part of the, the homework or the uh, discovery was uh, this. It was a savings and loan map from 1939. And it had color. If it was a green rating, a person could live anyway and they would uh, give a mortgage. If it was yellow, while marginal, uh, they the interest rate might be higher, but they still could live in these areas. But if it was red... Uh, there were only certain areas in the city of Detroit where a person could live, and those were people of color. Mm-hmm. And that was 1939, a public policy decision affirmed by the mayor and the city council and FHA. And, and if you fast forward to 2020, most of the chronic disease in the city of Detroit was a public policy decision made in 1939. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris, what are some of the solutions that you've been thinking about that would maybe help solve the challenges that you're seeing? Another part of our work involved uh, understanding and working with organizations that dealt with and and worked with uh, low birth weight babies. Uh, And uh, I met met with the State Department of, uh, of the Maternal and Child Health Division, and I said to this young lady, I would love for you to co-chair a group, the, the organization that you fund in Detroit, and I'm going to ask the largest foundation to also sit at the table and co-chair it, the ones that they fund. And I said to, to, to them, I said, if we were a corporation and infant mortality was a product line that we were reviewing, we're in a boardroom, when you look at the millions of dollars spend, and yet we aren't able to achieve the kind of outcomes that we're, we have, corporations would be out of that line of business in a heartbeat. And not that we need to be uh, hard-nosed business and, and, and understanding that quantitative part of it, but I'd love for you to co-chair a group and ask the group, we're spending all of these dollars, and yet we aren't able to see discernible outcomes. What are you doing in your organization that would allow for that to improve? And what the what we what we found was that not only 
where the organization is not interested, or the state and the foundation interested in having this dialogue. But the way the dollars and grants are made is for a specific targeted number of people. And very often, you don't see cross-fertilization. You don't see referral. It's the financing model is all wrong. Mm-hmm. And what we tried to understand is what we could do differently. Again, those are some of the examples of the work we have done at Authority Health, and I'll pause. Chris, it's so interesting to hear about the curriculum that you've designed um, to better prepare um, medical students and graduate medical students to really understand population health and the way that they practice care. I'm curious, um, what are your thoughts for the way forward with that, and what do you have planned next? What we have, uh, the, the, the learning for us is that each one of our residents and their patient cohort, they had to do a social determinant evaluation of all of their patients. And they were required to do a formal presentation around all of those issues. The intent is when a patient walks in your practice from a particular zip code, bells and whistles should go off. And it's not about, uh, uh, crash and burn, uh, treat the acute care problem. It's what do you do understanding where that person lives and what is your, your, what is your prescription on how they can improve their, not only for that individual, but for their family. What we expect is, and what we have received are inquiries from other organizations wanting to adopt our program. Again, we are a, a participant with the University of Michigan, and we are we have often been open to uh, sharing and uh, moving our program around other parts of the country. Wow. Thank you so much just for everything you shared on our podcast. We have learned a tremendous amount from you and um, all of your um all of the programs and the things that you're interested in are extremely inspiring. And I just want to thank you again for being on our podcast and taking the time to speak with us today about your work. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. Day Health Strategies is a Boston-based, mission-driven healthcare consulting firm specializing in providing timely and effective solutions to complex problems in healthcare. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at www.dayhealthstrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at DayHealthStrat. Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of Day Health Strategies. Our producer and host is Emily George. Editing is done by Kate Gautung. Special thanks to Purple Planet for the use of their songs.